This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we've talked about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. Joining us on the show right now is Marsha, former client of Sands & Associates. Hi there. How are you doing? We're good. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Yeah, Marcia, it, it's Blair. Now, you and I work together, so obviously I, I know a bunch of the background here, but mm-hmm. for the benefit of the listeners, can you give me um, some background on the situation that brought you to Sands & Associates? Um, how did you reach out for help and what really drove that decision? Okay, um, sure, definitely. You know, I I realize now that what caused me to reach out is something that kind of happens to a lot of us, but, uh, you know, I'd fallen into a rut. Um, of literally living beyond my means um, and my income. I knew it was getting crazy, but I didn't have any clue how to get out of it. Um, I had a nest egg that I built up after I sold my house, and I I moved, and I was um, slowly, you know, with rent and with life and everything going on, I was eating into that nest egg as opposed to staying, uh, you know, within the budget of what I was earning. And and And, and Marcia, where where did you move from? Um, I moved from Cranbrook <laughs> to Vancouver. So a big difference in the costs, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And although I'm from the Lower Mainland and my job was fantastic, I just, we were stuck in a situation. When I came into town, I had a place to live and we had a situation set up that was perfect for us. And then something happened and it fell through. So we kind of had to scramble. And in that scramble, I took the closest place to where I was working and didn't even consider all the other things that would have been part of, you know, living downtown. So it definitely, um, it definitely opened my eyes quickly, but I got so drowning so fast and I had no one to talk to about it. Um, it was, it was, it was just like a cycle. It was a cycle upon cycle. And I didn't even realize I'd fallen so far into it. Until I realized that I had, you know, credit card to pay a credit card to pay a credit card to pay a credit card. Yeah. And my consumer debt was just mounting without any any end to it. And that, that led to things like, you know, anxiety and definitely stress going on in my life. And, um, you know, a fearfulness that uh, I hadn't really experienced in a long while, right? I, I'd worked hard to get myself where I was. And then... All of a sudden, I realized I was back where I was previously in another time in my life. And the shame that kind of hit me was just huge. Like, I I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I didn't want to let anybody in my life know that, you know, I didn't have a handle on my financial situation. And I think that that's a real common place for us to be in uh, because handling our lives financially is kind of hand in hand with being an adult. And... I was definitely not in the place where that was going on realistically in my life. And, I, and it wasn't changing it because we 
you spend, you go out to eat, you buy groceries, you 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 do things, period, and and they all cost money. And if you're not, if you don't have a grasp on that, um, and and a good budgeting sense, and and you know know what to do with it when you get it, it it's a really hard place to be in. And I just kind of, I hit a wall, um, and I did the things I needed to do to uh, take care of the finances and my situation as best I could. I moved out of Vancouver into the Fraser Valley. But Marsha, before you, before you go on, yeah. I just want to ask you a question. How mm-hmm. long did that process take? How long did you sort of uh, muck about and, and then realize that you were in a in a situation that you needed some help? How, how many days or months or what it, oh, did it, it take? Years? It, <laughs> it was years. a full 18 months. 18, 18 months. <laughs> Yeah, it was a full 18 months. I ran my lease, and then I ran my lease six months past. It was truly the final six months of when my lease expired and I released that I was like, oh, goodness, I needed to make a change. Uh, It was that long, though. So, yeah, about 18 months before the realization of what kind of mess I was in really became real. And how long did it take you between when you realized to then get a hold of Blair and and get some help with it? Probably about four or five months, which is funny, but my path to Sands and Associates and to Blair went down a sad but uh, very, I think, still common thing that I didn't know about Sands and Associates at that time. I didn't even know about uh, consumer proposals or um, a debt consolidation or anything like that, right? I I saw an ad, because I transited when I worked downtown, on a bus, in the bus stations, on the, at the SkyTrain stations. I saw an ad about, you know, if you're drowning and, you know, if things are going crazy and everything's going bad, call this number and they'll help you. Well, I had reached a point of desperation where I was like, okay, I'm going to call, but I still wasn't going to tell anybody. Yeah, and, and, and Marcia, that, that's just completely consistent with the, the clients that we see day in and day out. And I'm so yeah. pleased that you're, you're sharing your experience because it's about two years, it seems, that, you know, yeah. people, they, they really, like using your words, said, you know, they were ashamed, they were stressed, you know, they were carrying it all on themselves, but they're reaching out for help. They start start to feel better pretty quick, at least that's my, my experience. Um, I wonder if you, if you can share a bit for the listeners. You, you filed a, a consumer proposal. I wonder if you can just kind of describe what that was like, what it did for you. Oh, that was, when when I found you guys, when I found Sands and Associates, that was, it was like finally taking that deep breath, <laughs> and I stopped waiting for that other shoe to drop. Um, I had such a great experience. From the moment I walked in, and, you know, I had somebody tell me that it's all going to be okay. <laughs> yep. You know, the calls are going to stop. We're going to we're going to get you uh, get the situation under control. They were going to reach out to the debtors and, and, and the creditors. Uh, and be able to make an arrangement for me to put it all together and make a payment that was reasonable. Because that was the biggest thing, is there was no way to complete all the payments to everybody all the time. And um, that was the cycle of it. And all of a sudden, I got to Sands and Associates, I filed this consumer proposal, and it was so simple. (laughs) And it was so quick. That was the thing. I literally was in there, and then within a week, all the paperwork was ready to go. And all of a sudden, I could start living life again without... Yep. Marcia, I'm wondering what did that do in, in terms of your, your payments? So, you know, you said that the minimum payments um, before were more than you, you could afford. I think you said it was mm-hmm. you know, more than your, your salary. What did the proposal do? That gave you a payment you could afford? Do you remember kind of ballpark numbers? Oh, yeah. Um, I, my payments went from 
literally eight or nine hundred dollars a month mm-hmm. down to a hundred and twenty-five. Wow, that that big, right? Yeah, that yeah. was huge, and it was distributed. It, I didn't have to take care of the distribution of it. I didn't have to take care of contacting to make these arrangements. The skill set that is available at Sands and Associate to reach out to these people in a way that they respond to, because that's something I learned. The people, the debt I had, they were not responsive until Sands and Associate came. I came on board with this consumer proposal project and went ahead and, and allowed them to do the mediating for me. Uh, it took it from more than, you know, a mortgage payment down to something that is easily paid monthly that's that's excellent, Marcia. I'm wondering about you know your, your experience now. You know, has there been an impact on your financial habits, on, on your attitudes? Um, you know, as part of the consumer proposal process, there's two financial counseling sessions. You know, we, mm-hmm. we hope as practitioners that those you know that they, they take take form and you know they, they really do do lead to some change behaviors. I wonder if you can give a sense of where are you now. You know what? They were really great tools. They provided me first the first appointment I had. Uh, it was all about. You know, facing your debt, because that's something that you tend to do when you get uh, out of control. And it talked to me about, you know, dealing with things immediately. I stopped uh, letting things go. And now by habit, I do that. If something comes up and there's some something coming up, then and it's I'm not going to be able to, to make a payment or if there's uh, anything in the world, because you never know what's going to come up. I deal with it right away. I don't go ahead and wait. I I reach out to where it's concerned. And that less and less does that even happen anymore in my life. The other thing that happened was it taught me the tools of budgeting, as well as budgeting for things that you don't even think about. Like I have some stretch goals that I set out at my second appointment um, for something great to be coming up in my future. And that was exciting to realize that in the midst of all this, they taught me a way to find um, something to look forward to some kind of a hope, right? And right. that was the most important thing for me was having hope that this wasn't the end and it was just the beginning to start with tools of, you know, being aware of the little spending, being aware of what has to be paid monthly, and then, you know, setting away money for something great that you want to do in your life <laughs> as opposed yeah. to just thinking it's always going out, it's going out, it's going out, and never thinking that anything was ever going to be positive again about the financial situation. Yeah, Marcia, you've got us in, in the studio here just, you know, grinning ear to ear because this is exactly, <laughs> you know, why I do this work, you know, the, the transformation that you've had. I just know that this happens day in and day out with with yeah. clients who are on consumer proposals or, or even personal bankruptcies. You know, it's life-changing getting, getting rid of your debt. Um, I wonder if you have any words of advice for others who might be in a similar position to what you faced, Marcia? I definitely do. And, you know, you're going to hear me say this, and I know it can take some time, but don't be afraid to just make that call. Sometimes the thing that stops us is we just don't know. And that is, that is what I learned most out of this. You know, reach out to somebody else. Sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger who knows what they're talking about than it is to the closest people to you. So don't let that fear or that shame or that worry that, you know, you're just, they're going to look at you and say, how could you have messed up? Because that's not what happens. You know, they talked to me, they treated me like an adult, they were professional, they were so respectful of everything I was going through. It was the best thing I ever did. So, you know, if you cannot wait for two years before Mm -hmm. you go in and get help, that would be the best thing. But 
even if you're still at that point where you've waited and you feel like you're against the wall, reach out. Uh, this was probably one of the best things that I ever did was when I decided to go ahead with a consumer proposal and do it the right way. Marcia, such great advice for folks that uh, uh, are in the same situation that you were in. We appreciate you talking with us today so much. Thank you very much. I really appreciated sharing my, my story with you guys. Confidential in-person consultations with Sands & Associates are always free. Simply call Sands & Associates at 1-800-661-3030 or visit the Sands & Associates website at sands-trustee.com to book your free consultation today. If you're not ready to meet in person or know someone who's resisting reaching out to a debt management professional like Sands & Associates, we still want to help. Simply send us an email with the breakdown of your debts, any assets that you have, such as a vehicle, home, or RRSPs, a basic idea as to your household's income, expenses, and general budget, plus any relevant information about your circumstances and situation. We'll review your situation anonymously during a segment and talk about what sort of solutions could be used to get you to a debt-free future. Send us the email at radio at sands-trustee.com. That's radio at sands-trustee.com today. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. Let's talk about bankruptcy. It's such a loaded word these days. How does the actual bankruptcy process work, Blair? Well, so first off, let's talk about the goal of a bankruptcy. So the goal of a bankruptcy is, and this is straight from the law, it's to give somebody that's been honest but unfortunate a chance at a fresh financial start. So it's allow you, it allows yourself to free yourself from a burden of unmanageable debt and start again owing nobody anything. So it's really quite a wonderful thing. Um, and it's only available to individuals. If a company goes into bankruptcy, essentially it's over. You know, All the assets are shut down. The company gets dissolved. Um, for an individual, if an individual goes into bankruptcy, they emerge on the other side and they can rebuild and start again. You know what? And I think that's part of the thing we've talked about misconceptions around the word bankruptcy. And when you just said that, that's what I think of, that uh, everything's done, that doors mm-hmm. are shut, you're on your own, goodbye, it's right. finished. And, and, and it's so different, personal bankruptcy versus a company going bankrupt. Yeah, it, exactly. You know, I've got uh, one of my colleagues who has a saying, you know, if people are in our office signing documents, they sometimes say, you know, hey, I'm signing my life away here. And well, no, what you're doing is you're signing your debt away and you're getting your life back. Yeah. And that's what bankruptcy does. And, and it's a bit cliche, but boy, oh boy, I think it's true. Yeah, indeed. I think it's true. Mm-hmm. All right. How does the actual process start when, you, when you're heading into bankruptcy? Yeah. So there's two ways a bankruptcy can start, but a of cases, it starts with the individual asking for help. So, you know, in very rare situations, someone can get forced into bankruptcy, but in my 13 years of practice, I've never seen it. It's basically someone deciding, you know what, I've got more debt than I'm able to handle. Um, I'm going to reach out to somebody to give me some help. And if you're in Canada, the only person that can help you with a bankruptcy is a licensed insolvency trustee. So that role doesn't exist in other countries. In other countries, you might need a lawyer or an attorney or whatever. Um, In Canada, you have to see a trustee to get a with the bankruptcy. And what it means if you call Sands and Associates is 
pick up the phone, we ask you about the situation, and we say, okay, let's get you in to sit down face-to-face with one of our qualified trustees or estate administrators. Um, So we'll book a meeting in any of our 15 offices, and then when you come in with the meeting, uh, we plan for an hour sit-down where we sit, you know, eye-to-eye, and we just talk about the situation. So we want to understand what's the debts, you know, what's keeping you up at night, what are the payments that you're worried about making, uh, what are the assets, you know, do you own a house, do you own a car, is it important to try to keep those assets, is there an REA? SP or their RRSPs. Let's go through all of your assets and all of your debts and see if there is a mismatch there, meaning that you've got a lot more debts than you're able to handle. Uh, we also look at, and this is all in, in the first meeting here, we look at your budget. So we try to understand who's earning income in the household and how how many dependents are there? Are there different, you know, medical conditions or therapies that are required? You know, what's the household's ability to make payments on debts? Because that's going to determine what the options are available to the person. Um, and then we just spend a lot of time discussing about their objectives. You know, are they just looking to understand, you know, well, what if I were to consolidate all the debt? Or what if I tried to pay everything back? Um, a lot of my time is spent explaining, here's exactly how the nuts and bolts of a bankruptcy would work. Here's how a consumer proposal would work. And let's help you make a collective decision on what's going to be best for you you and your family. And this is that this is that uh, free consultation that we talk about when yeah. we talk about Sands and Associates. That's all the stuff that gets covered in that one hour time so that you have a really good idea. Actually, both parties have a mm-hmm. really clear, much more clear idea of exactly what the situation is. Yeah, exactly. So we go into a good amount of detail, you know, even if it's someone where I can't solve the problem, I can't help the situation. I've never had someone say it was a waste of time coming for the meeting because if nothing else, you learn. You leave there with a bunch more knowledge about the process, about what the options are to you, and then you're better armed as a consumer moving forward to deal with with a debt situation, even if bankruptcy isn't the answer for you. Okay, let's talk about bankruptcy registration. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Yeah, so once you file for bankruptcy, so assuming you've been in to see us for a consultation, then we generally meet probably two or three times after that to get together all the details and put together the bankruptcy filing documents. When we meet to sign the documents, then the trustee registers the bankruptcy with the government and then notifies all of your creditors that now you are protected. So essentially the trustee steps in the middle like a referee. So we explain to the people that you owe money to, here are the rules of the game. You can no longer contact this person. You can't harass them. You can't request any payments. Any actions you have taken must cease immediately. And then we explain to the person who is going through the bankruptcy that we're now the referee enforcing, you know, some quant conduct issues against the creditors. But you, the individual, the government requires you do some work to restructure your affairs. And that's what you have to focus on over the term of the bankruptcy, which is either nine or 21 months. Okay. And that's, and that's where you guys really play a role as well to figure out the next course of action. How are you going to do this? Yeah. So if someone has filed a bankruptcy, one of the key things they've got to do, they've got to do three big sets of duties. So the number one thing they've got to do is they've got to give us a monthly budget. And that's hugely important because for some, but not all people, but for some people who come through the door, they've never kept a budget before. You know, they put down the plastic to pay for expenses. They make the minimum payments on the cards, but they don't really operate on a what's the money in coming in, what's the money coming in each month versus the money going out and is there a mismatch? So just the exercise of being required to keep a budget each month is very important. There's a lot of value in that, um, but it's also the most important part of the bankruptcy because your budget and the amount that you earn each month, that's the only determination of how how long you're in bankruptcy and how much you have to pay. It doesn't matter the amount of money that you owe. That's not a function of it. It's are you earning a lot of money each month? 
or are you earning very minimal amounts of money each month? That's going to determine how long your bankruptcy is and how much you have to pay. And at this point, too, you may you may be working with the person and realize, you know what, bankruptcy isn't the next step for yep. you. A consumer proposal may be uh, a better, kinder, easier, or more beneficial thing for you to follow through on. Yeah, that that's true, Elaine. So, you know, in every situation, we'll sketch out hypothetically if someone files for bankruptcy what's required, and then we'll also say, well, here's the alternative. If you, you know, to try to avoid a bankruptcy, a consumer proposal can be a better option for, you know, a, a number of factors there. Um, but if the person decides to, to file for bankruptcy, bankruptcy, it's really important that we understand if they're considered low income or not low income. And the cutoff there is if you're a single person, roughly $2,100 per month of take-home income, that's the low income definition across Canada. Okay. So someone files for bankruptcy and on a monthly basis, they're earning less than that amount. Bankruptcy is over in nine months and the amounts that they have to pay is $1,800. So for whatever the amount of debt is, finished in nine months and they pay $1,800. So it's a very quick and, you know, ideally, you know, very valuable um, result that you you would receive going through a bankruptcy. Now, there's also counseling sessions Mm -hmm. included in the work that you would do. Yeah. So one of the things that we're so proud of at at Sands & Associates is we really take the approach of trying to understand the entire person, the entire situation, and fix not just the financial aspects. Um, So you're required to attend at least two financial counseling sessions with us. They're focused on household budgeting, about understanding the factors that led to the situation you find yourself in, and then also focused on the future. How do you rebuild your credit? How do you move forward with really good financial habits to make sure that in the future, you know, you're a beacon of strength for for those in your life, um, and you can learn from this situation. I like the idea, too, that you'd really take a look at the warning signs. Yeah. Because often people aren't aware, right? They're just not aware of, of what, of what if this is happening, then this is probably going to happen next. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes the most comfortable thing, which is just, you know, making the minimum payments each month and letting the debts go up, is the worst thing you can be doing for your long-term financial health. Now let's, uh, in wrapping up this segment, the last piece, the discharge. How does that work? And can you sort of give us a brief brief description. Yeah. So when you file for bankruptcy, you know, you're in bankruptcy for a period of time, which means you're protected. The trustee referee is is appointed and all of that, but you want that to come to an end because you want to exit bankruptcy and move on and get the debt left behind. So when I was mentioning, you know, you can be in bankruptcy for nine months, it's at the end of the nine months, the trustee can sign a discharge certificate, which essentially frees you from the debts and you move forward with your life. Excellent. If this uh, sounds like a a road that you want to take, a path that you want to take to figure out, to take a look at your your debt situation, if it feels like it's looming over you, then possibly this is the action. It's a a free consultation with Sands & Associates. For more information, check out the website. It's a good one, sands-trustee.com. You can uh, go to the website, book your free consultation with with one of the experts, and of course, start living a debt-free life. We cover a lot of topics here every week on Dollars and Cents, from mistakes not to make when you're in debt to mapping out the mystery behind credit scores and reports and everything in between. We'd love your input as a listener on what financial-related topics are important to you. Tell us what you want to learn more about. Send us an email to radio at sands-trustee.com. That's radio at sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, who are experts in helping you get out of debt. We'll be back with more right after this.
Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. On the line with us is Dr. Leanne Davies. She's the founder and CEO of Agenomics, holds a PhD in aging, health, and well-being, and co-authored this book with Blair called When Life Bites You in the Wallet. Uh, Leanne and Blair, both pretty passionate, I'd say, about uh, helping folks uh, do better with their money. And Leanne, specifically for you, for folks uh, to deal with as as we all age. So thank you so much for joining us. So, of course, real estate market always uh, comes up as a is a great thing for folks to think about and to get involved in. Uh we're sort of focusing on the bank of mom and dad in this segment. And uh, I kind of like it. I, I never had a bank of mom and dad, but I know that if I had children that needed it, I would be that bank of mom and dad. It, am I sort of on the right track there? You sure are. It's certainly a trend. It's a trend that's been around for a long time, but we see it increasing really in acceptance, but unfortunately it's also increasing in expectation. And why do you think that is? I know know that's a little off topic, but why do you think that is so much today? Well, I think that a lot of it comes to how you've introduced this whole segment, which is real estate has become, you know, a a general topic and concern for many of us. Not everyone lives in an expensive real estate market, but of course, so many people in Canada do. And, uh, And it just creates that whole conversation of how will these young people start to enter into the real estate market and find a place where they can have a family, grow their careers, all of those things that are are normal expectations of life. So we're concerned and we know that the generation of mom and dad or sometimes it's grandma and grandpa um, may be there to help them and give them that good start. And that sense of a windfall, uh, too, for the for the parents, for the bank, for the mom and dads, because all of a sudden the home, the family home that maybe they bought for thirty or forty or sixty or seventy thousand mm-hmm. dollars is now worth a crazy amount of money, uh, regardless of where you're living in the Lower Mainland or even the South Island. Uh, I mean, it's 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 an easy it's an easy jump to make to think that oh they they can afford it, so I should be able to do this. Oh, sure it is. And and that's where the expectation part of this comes in, where we've got people who are thinking, you know, I'm young, I went to university, I'm all ready to start my career, but how can I get that jump start like mom and dad had? And maybe mom and dad can help me. So it's not um, an unreasonable expectation, but when you start to drill down into it, there are certainly some concerns that you need to be aware of. Let's talk about those concerns, Leanne. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is, I think, just the term, the bank of mom and dad. Um, If we start to look at it from the standpoint of the older generation as being a bank, that's different than how we looked at maybe mom and dad giving a a little bit of a leg up from years ago. So we used Mm. to see things like, oh, I might save that um, baby bonus check when my children were young. So we've got that generation who maybe benefited from their parents saving those those smaller bits of money and help them through university. But now, um, you know, that was a gift. But now we've got this whole concept of bank of mom and dad. And if we really look at that, a bank comes with obligations. If we look at what the term banking means, it's not a gift. It's not a free handout. It is a obligation. And there's a commitment to meet that obligation or there's a consequence. 
Good point. And mm-hmm. not a, not everybody thinks, of, or at least the the recipients of that of that money may not necessarily think of those things. That's right. And that's where there needs to be a very good family conversation. And this is the importance of having that open communication at the outset before the actual banking transaction, so to speak, takes place. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what it means for both parties and what the expectation is for both parties. That means putting timeframes around it, um, acknowledging if there are strings tied to it, such as if you sell that house that we're helping you purchase, um, we want to have a certain amount of the money back. Uh, There's all sorts of things that need to happen in this conversation. I guess, Leanne, as you were speaking, I thought it was very interesting, just just the concept here that, you know, in the past, the bank of mom and dad might be, you know, just some savings that mom and dad had, you know, built up over time, whether it's baby bonus or, or whatever. What it seems to be now that I've seen, um, you know, even anecdotally in my circle of friends is it's, you know, we're sharing in mom and dad's windfall, so to speak. We're sharing in some of their real estate appreciation that, you know, in this um, incredible run up in house prices that the current generation feels like they missed the boat on, um, you know, in some ways, it's not money that mom and dad have saved. It's, it's some what found money is the way sometimes I think the recipients can can look at it. And to me, that seems a little bit of a dangerous way to consider, you know, a dollar is a dollar, whether it's a real estate appreciation or money that's been saved over years. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And the found money concept is a really interesting one. And I think what's also changed with that perspective is I think back to when I was younger and I can remember, um, I remember being in high school and kids being given cars when they turned Mm -hmm. 16. And of course I told my parents about that and they were like, yeah, dream on kids. That's (laughs) not going to be happening for you. Um, And then these kids also ended up getting down payments for houses and so forth. But when I think about where that windfall came from, often those were um, business people who had built up businesses, um, who had built up legal firms and so forth, and had made uh, a lot of money through that type of work. And so it wasn't as obvious to us kids or young adults about how much money there really was. Um, Whereas today, we know how much houses cost, Mm -hmm. and we know these windfalls are coming from something that we're all very aware of. And that might be why this expectation of the bank of mom and dad and that found money is being being um, talked about more and expected more because we're more aware of it. But it's always gone on. Yeah, absolutely. We're very aware of it. I mean, it's you can't you can't get away from that uh, story being told over and over again. So, Leanne, what's your suggestion then or suggestions for for parents who want to sort of give their kids or children, uh, set them up a little bit better for their own success or financial independence? Because that seems like if, if you've got a good foundation in that as a young person, then things are going to look and seem a little bit different than those who don't have that. Sure. I think um, that it really comes down to this conversation. Um, and it's a conversation from a, a few perspectives. And I think the way a parent can start this is to say to their um, to their children, your well-being's important to mom and dad, um, but in talking about your well-being, and we know that you have some hopes and dreams, and we want to support those, we want you to understand that what we're about to talk about are my earned assets, whether they've been earned through the real estate market and the good fortune through that or through the businesses I've had or so forth. 
And the other part of the earned assets are my time. And if you have expectations for my time, such as helping out with daycare situations or having you come back and live in our house and spend more time in our house where you save up more money, we can talk about that, but only under the condition that you understand that these are my assets and that we need to put some boundaries around this. I remember hearing a very wealthy uh, celebrity couple uh, talk with their children, and their children said something like, well, we have this and we have that, and and the dad said, actually, I have that, and your mother and I have this, but you guys actually don't. You've been freeloading for a while, and things are about to change. Yeah, and that's perfect. It, it, It is very much the case. They are the assets of the older generation, mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, And that younger generation needs to first understand that point, because if they don't understand that point, the next part of the conversation is not going to make any sense at all. I would think that that'd be a pretty hard conversation to start as well. Have you got some tips on how to start that? Yeah, start it early. That's the easiest one. (laughs) So it shouldn't be a surprise at the age of 30. Yeah. Yeah. So when even with your children, if you have very young children um, and talking about, you know, different things that maybe you buy for the house. So let's say that you've you've bought um, a new TV, big screen TV now that we're going to see a number of people get it at Christmas time. Um, That would be something for people to say, for families to say, you know, this is wonderful that we're able to buy this for our family. And this is why mom and dad work so hard to be able to to do this. And now it's something that the family gets to share, but mom and dad bought it. And this is why it's important to learn how to save money. Or for their birthdays, another occasion, if there's something that um, that gets purchased. Again, it, it's talking about how you're able to do that in a family. That this, this item that they bought that the child really wants for their birthday, it's because mom and dad work hard for it and are happy to share that for this item. But mom and dad buy things for their own use as well. And it starts to really, I think, create a more open conversation all the way along about what is credit, how do you use credit, how do you save for things, where is savings important, um, why is an education important, how does that give you a leg up as well. And those are conversations throughout the child's lifetime, right into their adulthood. Yeah, and trying to have all those at, at once, <laughs> it's definitely not going to work, but something gradual, I think that that's a great, a great insight there. Um, Leanne, I just had a, a question, um, and sorry, I've lost, lost my train of thought here. <laughs> but you're right, Blair. All at once doesn't work. Nobody mm. can absorb that. And yeah. also, ah. if you try to do something all at once, mm. it's almost like the parent is chastising the adult child. You can't do that. Thank you. And, and Leanne, sorry, I've got my question now. Um, the idea of involving professionals, definitely that can't happen at your you know, initial conversation, but I see it with a lot of my clients where mom and dad might have given some money for the down payment if they've done it right and they've gotten someone you know, put it on the mortgage as a title charge, that can be valid and they can still get their money out. If they haven't done it right, then you know, they can really have some challenges. So I guess what's the t- when's the key time to get some expertise involved? Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because there's there's that aspect that you talked about where we need to have legal and financial expertise involved before the asset is handed over. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parent or the owner of that asset needs to completely understand the obligation um, that's being created both for them and for the child who's receiving that. So if it's signing something, the person who has added their signature to it, mom or dad, 
now have an obligation that they may not understand. They may think the obligation is just for the adult child, and it no longer is. And we've just most recently seen uh, a a newer obligation coming onto the horizon, which is grandparents who have been providing financial assets and babysitting and so forth to grandchildren and now are being held uh, accountable by the courts. There's cases now coming forward as to what type of um, ongoing financial um, re- uh, commitment that they have to that grandchild. Do they need to provide a monthly sum going forward to raise that grandchild? So these are significant issues that are having huge legal ramifications and can destroy somebody's retirement. Leanne, we're going to cut cut you off right there. For more information, check out Leanne's website, agenomics.ca. Leanne, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Elaine. Thank you, Blair. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Now, we're talking about sort of frequently asked questions, and one of them that that seems to come up for you a lot at Sands & Associates, Blair, is talking about secured debts. Let's let's talk about that, what it is, what's the difference, and, and how it works. What a secured debt is, is secured means that there's some security there that if you don't pay the debt, they're going to take something from you. So, so that would be my car. Exactly. It could be, you know, a piece of equipment if you're in a business. Um, it could be, you know, a farm implement. Essentially, anything that you've given security over. So even what some people do is they go to, you know, City Financial, for example, and they get a loan and they get they give security over all of their household goods. Mm-hmm. That would mean if they don't pay that loan, well, this lender could potentially come and take their household goods. So you can give security over any type of an asset, but the most common ones are over your mortgage, your house, and your car, your car loan. Okay. So it sounds like a good thing from a from a, a, a lender's point of view. Exactly. But yeah. do I have to do that if I'm wanting if I'm needing the money, if I'm needing the loan? Like is for the most part, yes. Okay. So for the most part, if you want to get someone to loan you money, you know, to buy a house or, or to buy a car, they're not going to do that unless you give them some, you know, again, security or an agreement that if you don't pay, they've got some recourse. They can go and get the car sold or get the, the house sold out, out from under you here. And we'll talk about those remedies, but that's totally different than an unsecured debt. Okay. An unsecured debt is something like a MasterCard debt, Visa, Amex, income tax, student loans. That's something if you don't pay, you know, it's not pleasurable. They're going to call you. They're going to harass you. They're going to do a bunch of things, but there's nothing they can really take from you without taking action against you first, going to court, trying to seize things. If it's a secure debt, if you don't pay, they've got the right to come and seize the asset. Now, I did just have a thought when you were talking about the secured, if you're going after a secured debt uh, for something, you're wanting to buy something, a house or a car, and the lender doesn't offer you that, Mm -hmm. then... I would then think, okay, I need to investigate the lender a little bit because if they're just going to give me this money and there's some, you know, there's no backing to them, yeah. then what at the end of the day are they actually, you know, going to take if I don't pay up? Oh yeah, that sounds like a scam six ways to Sunday, and right? I've I've seen that in in the past where you know people will you know say oh this sweetheart financing deal and you can't believe oh yeah they're not going to take security or whatever, but what it is at the end of the day is they're going to charge you a bunch of application fees. They're going to charge you oh a credit report fee and this fee and that fee. 
So at the end of the day, you might have paid them hundreds or even thousands of dollars. And at the end of the day, nobody on God's green earth is going to advance you money against your house without taking security. Right. So the money's not going to be there at the end of the day with no security interest, but you might have paid a bunch of money thinking that it's going to come through in the end. So it's basically buyer beware. For the most part, if you're buying an asset and you don't have the money up front, so let's be clear, if you're going to buy a car for cash or a house for cash, you're not going to be giving security to anybody on those because you don't owe money. But if you have to borrow the money for the asset, then security is what's going to be taken out. Okay, so something to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. So next question, can a secured debt be dealt with under what we talk a lot about on this show, the consumer proposal, or in the case if you're entering personal bankruptcy, how does that work? Yeah, so absolutely yes is the answer. Um, but let's let's back up a, a second first sure. and say, you know, what happens just if you don't pay a secured okay, debt? Okay, fair I enough. Think that's interesting too, because in some cases, you know, if you don't pay the secured debt, they're going to come and take the security and that might be the end of it. You actually don't need a bankruptcy or, or a proposal. Right. But let's talk through an example of, of a car loan. Because okay. um, I was quite surprised when I moved to BC. There's some very specific provincial legislation that um, essentially protect consumers if you financed a car. Oh. So yeah, so let, let's consider, you know, we, we financed a car and it's a, about a year later and we realized that, you know what, we, we can't make the payments on this car. Something's happened, we lost a job or someone got sick. Um, and the challenge is, you know, the car is now a year or two old. We know the car depreciated 30% when we drove it off the lot, probably another 30% the next year after. So by by definition, a car loan, you're essentially underwater for almost the whole time. Got it. And what I mean by underwater is if you sell the asset, it's not going to be enough to pay off the debt. Yeah, it's never going to be the amount of money that you paid for it. That's right. Ever with a car, because right? It, maybe towards the end, maybe, you know, a month 82 out of 84, you could sell, you know, you could sell yeah. the car and, and pay off the debt there. I'm not sure. But for the most part, you're going to be considered what's called underwater. Okay. So what happens if, if you can't make the payments? Well, so first off, they're going to call you and they're going to say, okay, you know, maybe we didn't get your payment this month. And you'll say to them, well, actually, I did that on purpose. I'm not able to make these payments. What's going to happen then is essentially your lenders have an option of either seizing the vehicle from you or suing you for the difference. Okay. And they're two different remedies. Now, if they seize the vehicle from you, this is actually the best possible thing that could happen. Really? You're surprised, right? I am. Because what that means, and BC is one of the only provinces like this, if we were sitting in Ontario and we've got a car we owe $40,000 on and it's seized and it's sold for $20,000, in Ontario, you're getting a bill for $20,000. You got to pay that difference. Okay. In BC, you're done. You're not getting a bill really? for that difference. It's seize or sue. If they decide to seize the vehicle from you, now obviously get your own legal advice or some you know particularities sure, sure. about this, yeah. but if they decide to seize the vehicle from you, they're not able to come back to you for the shortfall. If that vehicle sells at a shortfall for auction, you're fine. You're, the shortfall is not pinned on you. That's very important for consumers to know. If they're underwater on a vehicle loan, the worst thing they can typically do is sell it off, take the loss, and then try to pay off the difference. They're better in having it seized by the creditor. Okay, that you, you've lost money. You've lost that. You've lost the money that you've put into the car. Mm -hmm. But like you said, that's it. Yeah, you don't have to lose you anymore. Don't have to pay again. And I see people in my office. You know, sometimes they owe sixty thousand dollars on a very <sighs> basic Kia car, and I can see what's happened is every time they've negotiated negative equity. They've rolled in what they were already underwater on one loan into another loan into another. And as soon as I explain to them how seize or sue works, usually the answer there is stop making the payments, give the car back to the lender, um, and then, you know, get your own financing for another vehicle. Okay. Now in 
full disclosure, there is the option. The lender could say, you know what? We're not going to seize this car. We're actually going to sue you for full payment on the loan. Got it. They have the right to do that. And depending on, you know, your profile, they may choose to do so. I've never in 10 years of practice seen them not seize the car. Okay. So in almost every case that I've seen, they seize the car, but there is still a little bit of risk and that's why you'd want to get some some legal help there. Okay. So now can we go to the question, Certainly. how do those secured debts be, uh, how do they g- get dealt with under the uh, consumer proposal or personal bankruptcy? Right. And now I'm, I'm happy we, we got to here because now this let's assume that we actually want to keep the car. We want to keep the car or we want to keep our house. And those are huge fears people have when they walk into our office and they're considering a bankruptcy or a proposal. Usually question number two, is am I going to lose my house? And question number three is am I going to lose my car? Right. Right. What happens when you go through a bankruptcy or a proposal is in most cases, those assets are left untouched. They're actually intact at the end of the day. So if you've got a vehicle loan, what we look at if you file for bankruptcy or do a consumer proposal, we look at, do you have equity in that vehicle loan? Is there some value there if you were to sell the car that you would get something back? We've just talked about in almost every case, there's negative equity in a vehicle loan. So what a bankruptcy or a proposal does is it gives you the option. If you decide, okay, you know what? I don't want to be in this, in this financing anymore. At the same time, you're doing a bankruptcy or a proposal. You could get rid of the car, get a new car, and then basically start to move forward having everything restructured. So it's your option, but it's not a requirement. You could decide that you're going to keep that exact car, just keep making the payments all the way through. Nothing has to be disrupted strictly because you filed a bankruptcy or a proposal. Because people tend to keep cars because they need them. They've got to get, they don't want to lose that job. They've got to drive from A to B and the car is the thing that's going to get them there. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, even if you had a car that there was no loan against and you filed a bankruptcy, you're still allowed to keep it as long as it's a reasonably valued car. You can't keep a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, but if it's, you know, a reasonably valued car that you need to get to work, um, the trustee would have no issue with you retaining that. Or you've got a family and they need to get wherever they need to get to as well. Yeah. Okay, let's continue on then. Mm-hmm. So next question, is it, and look at our time, mm-hmm. is it possible to carry on with these arrangements under the consumer proposal or per- personal bankruptcy? Yeah, let's talk about a mortgage example, sure. right? Because again, if people are very worried about their car, you can imagine how, to, how you know, doubly, triply worried they would be about their mortgage. You know, yeah. it's clearly it's where the family lives and, and so on and so forth. And, and, you know, quite often, if you had to sell a house now in the lower mainland, you know, you might be happy with the price, but where are you going to buy and where, where exactly. are you going to go? So with a mortgage, it's very simple similar to a bankruptcy or, or, or very similar to a car loan. We have to look at what's the equity. If someone is sitting there with a million dollars of equity in their house, yeah, they can't go into bankruptcy and keep a million dollars of equity in the house unless all of that goes to pay their debt. You're listening to Blair Manton with Sands & Associates. I'm Elaine Scollin. The show is called Dollars and Cents. Sands & Associates, experts in helping you get out of debt. For more information on any of the services we've talked about, go to the website, sands-trustee.com for more information. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. 
<laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.